Well, good morning. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today in the house of the Lord. Amen. How I many you know God's been good to us? Amen. He has been good. It's a joy to be with you guys today. And the sun is out. I'm happy about that. It's no more rain. Back where I'm from in Dallas, and flooding last night, tornadoes, hail, and and uh, we're getting reports in Dr. Brown's house. Uh, as, as we just were talking about Dr. Brown. He, they texted us this morning, and they were up all night with water pumps trying to keep flooding from their basement because things have been coming in for so bad. They were doing. Was it maybe two-hour shifts? I think Karen was asleep for two hours while he was working the pump, and they would trade. And uh, so they kept water out of their basement. So I'm glad to just be here and everything be nice and, and beautiful here. So it's a joy to be with you guys today, and uh, I'm so appreciative, Pastor. Thank you for having us in this weekend. We know there's 100 other guest speakers you could have had today, and we're honored to be with you guys. And uh, last night we had a great time of teaching with the leaders. And uh, raise your hand if you are in that group last night so I can see, yeah, well, this is all of us here today. So it was a joy to be with you guys. And uh, I want to just share what, something the Lord's put on my heart today, this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, we're going to jump right into it. And uh, how many of you ever had uh, been out in public before and had um, maybe an embarrassing moment happen? You, you, ever, you ever wake up in the morning and you think, man, i got to go to the store and i got to go right now. And you think, but I haven't showered yet. I don't want anybody to see me. And you got to go anyway. So you bust out in the car and you go away. And of course, that's the day you see 45 people that you know right as soon as you walk in the door. As I was just sitting here thinking, as they were talking, but I was in Walmart recently, and, and uh, Walmart in the States is, is about my least favorite store to ever go into. It's just, it's great for people watching, but it's, it's kind of strange for everything else. But I'd gone in, and I was in one of those moods where I was in a hurry, so I grabbed my one item that I needed. I got in the express lane. You know, there's a big sign there, 45 by 45. It says, you know, 10 items or less. So it's pretty clear you have to have 10 items or your name has to be less. Those are the only two people that can go in that line. 10 items or less. So as I'm pushing my little self over there, this girl, about 19 with a little kid, and literally has items pouring out of the top of this basket. Like there's got to be at least 125 things. And she cuts right in front of me and goes right to the, to the front. And at first I thought, did you not see me because you cut in front of me? And the second thing I thought is, you can't read because there's like a giant sign. You're way over the 10 limit here. So I stood back and I thought, well, the cash register is going to say, you know, please go to another lane because this is the express lane, which have we learned is for people with 10 items or less. Okay, so if your name's not less, you got to have 10 items. And so she didn't move. So sure enough, the intimidated high school employee doesn't tell her to go to another lane. She starts trying to do this one at a time. So I gently tapped her on the shoulder and I said, excuse me, but, but I'm sure you've misunderstood. I just didn't see the sign, but this is the express lane for 10 items or less. So unless your name is Leslie, you're in the wrong line. And I just knew she would see the wisdom of that, right? I'm nice. I'm just being polite. There's a big sign. She can see I'm not making it up. And she didn't. In just two or three seconds, she told me where to go, what to do when I got there. And I mean, she laid into me with every kind of profane thing you can imagine. And in that instant moment, all of Jesus evaporated from my entire body, man. <laughs> he just did. I said, you got to be kidding me. So I just says back to her, well, I'm so sorry that I've disappointed you, but we'll pray for your, for your future education because you obviously hadn't learned to read yet because this sign clearly says... You want to count with me? One, two, three, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. While I'm right in the middle of all this colossal stuff, two cash registers over, I hear the horrific voice of an 85-year-old woman as she says, Dr. Smalley, is that you? <laughs> no, man, I'm his twin brother. <laughs> He's somewhere preaching in Nicaragua. I'm just here buying some stuff at Walmart. So I'm glad today I'm not at Walmart. I'm with God's people, amen? And uh, you guys are in love with the Lord. It's a thrill to be with you. So thanks for having us up this weekend. And it is joy. Diana's built me before on trips, but not full time. We've had to sneak a few in and there in between her work schedule with ABC. And so uh, we're thankful for that. And uh, Diana's mom's going through a special time. We'd love to have her on your prayer list here because you guys have seen so many miracles in this area. But back in December, Diana's mother was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and she's been doing the chemo and stuff where she lives in Nashville. So Diana's been dividing her time on the road with me and uh, finishing up with ABC. Then they're in Nashville with her mom. And her mom has her next round of chemo, which is almost at the end of the trail here, about uh, two more treatments left. So her name is Lisa. So if you'd put Lisa on your prayer list, we'd just love to, to call Pastor back in a few weeks and say, here, got another praise report, man. It's all cancer-free. Everything's good. I mean, thank God can do that. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. 
And uh, I know God's got good things. So I want to jump right into the Word of God today. Um, as you can tell, I am not from here. My accent gives me away. I, I told Diana the other day, I was somewhere, I think I was still in New York, and I walked up to a lady at a cash register, and all I said is, uh, she said, is this all you have? And I said, this is it. And that's all. This is it. There's no accent to that. This is it. She said, where are you from? Are you kidding? Do I, do I sound? I didn't say, this is it. You know, I, I, I just said, this is it. That's all. I, did my accent that bad? So I hope you guys can understand the Southern dialect today. So Diana's kind of used to it by now, but, but uh, you may not be. But it's a joy to be with you guys today. I started preaching when I was 14 years of age. I went to a youth camp and had an encounter with the Lord. And I didn't know what I would be doing for God down the road, but I knew that I knew I was called into full-time service where I would give my life uh, to serving the Lord through full-time ministry. I didn't know if that'd be pastoring or, or if I would be in full-time missions. I just didn't know. I just had to say yes to what I knew at the time. And, and in, the, the, in between sessions, of course, we've done pretty much everything, pastored and done missions work overseas, and, and now kind of we do a little bit of all of it. So we're pastoring pastors and we're teaching. But uh, we started off in 1998 uh, planting churches in Africa, and we averaged a brand-new church every 90 days for 12 years. That's what we did. So we've got 64 churches now. So it's a wonderful thing for me to wake up every Sunday morning and know that there's 64 congregations worshiping God somewhere around the world that didn't exist until we got there with our team, our partners, our prayer groups, the churches that sent us, all, the, all that goes into all that. That's, that's an awesome thing. I'll never forget, I was back in Africa a few years ago when I was backstage. I'd just been pulled up to our outdoor crusade, and the platforms, of course, are 10 or 12 feet tall. So they'd taken me behind the platform, and there were curtains there, and all I could see was people's shoes, literally. That, I saw the praise and worship team's shoes in, like, they're right here in front of me, and the guy says to me, do you know who these people are? And I was like, I'm looking at feet, so no, I, I have no idea, man. It's just shoes. He said, the praise and worship team that's, we were there to start a church because all of our crusades are outdoors and they go Thursday, Friday, Saturday night and then we roll into Sunday morning and the first Sunday morning service is made up of the converts from Thursday, Friday and Saturday night and we install a new pastor there that we've brought with us and that's how we birthed the church out of people that just got saved. So he says, Harry, my crusade director said, do you know who these people on the platform are? And I said, no, I have no idea. He said, this is a praise and worship team from a church from three hours away and they came here to help you you because you started their church five years ago. So I thought, man, that's cool fruit. So these people are back now helping me start another church. And so it's wonderful to be a part of the family of God. And as we've traveled to 40 plus nations and just seeing, I'm just seeing that God's ready to do a new thing among hungry people. I believe that with all of my heart. We're moving toward the rapture of the church. We're moving toward the end times. But Jesus said he was going to build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't shut it down. So you and I are on good territory today. Amen. God's doing great things in our life. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes this morning out of John chapter 14, and uh, read a couple of verses of Scripture here. Let's look at verse, um, let's go for verse 16, and then I'm going to talk about the four voices God always wants you to hear. Four voices God never wants you to stop hearing. John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Now, Jesus is talking about departing here, so he's saying there's somebody coming that won't leave. He is the spirit of truth. Notice he's not an it. He is a person. He is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you here like orphans, but I will come to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live you will live also. In that day, you will know. If you've got your Bible out there that's not electronic, I'd circle the word know because he doesn't say you'll hope, guess, pray, or wonder. In that day, you'll know I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and I will reveal myself to him. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house today. Thank you for these incredible people that you've loved, that you've created, that you've got destiny. 
ahead of them, Lord. There's so many things they're going to do with their life. Thank you for an incredible pastor and, and a team here, Lord. Thank you for all the miracles and the testimonies that have come out of this house. We give you all the praise and all the glory, and today is a new day. Your mercies are brand new this morning when we woke up. We're the head and not the tail. We're the lender and not the borrower. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we decree today will be a new day of peace, a day of strength, a day of impartation. And we will leave here in a few minutes different than how we walked in here because of your power working in our lives. And we give you all the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. amen. You got to pen write these things down. Four voices God always wants you to hear. Number one is the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a bird. He came in the form of a dove one time. Everybody thinks now he's like a bird. The Bible calls Jesus the rose of Sharon, but you don't think of him as a flower. The Holy Spirit's not an it. He's not fog with an eyeball. He's not the force on the good side of things. He's a person. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. God is in three persons. That's a whole thing. It'll warp your head to think on the Trinity for a long time. But it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send him, and he's going to come and live in you and be on you. And he is your best friend. He's your master mentor. He's not fire, but he purges like fire. He's not wind, but he moves like wind. Okay? When you hear a dog bark, the bark is not the dog. It's just proof a dog is around. The Holy Spirit cleanses like water, but he's not water. That's something that he just does. He is a person, and he lives inside of us when we know Jesus. Amen? So we talk to him anytime we want, and he listens. He empowers us to live above the world, to live above sin. When you're struggling with something, you say, Holy Spirit, help me, and he's your strength. He's your comforter. He's not, he's not some spooky thing with fog with an eyeball. He's a person, and the moment you get saved, he comes and lives inside of you and takes up residence. So everywhere you go, you're given the Holy Spirit the GPS address. Where's God? Right here. He's in me. Everywhere you go, you give God an address because he's where you are. A few years ago, a friend of mine was told me this incredible thing. He woke up in the morning, and he was late for work, so he did a quick shower, got in the car, was driving across town, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, where was I when you woke up this morning? And he said, well, Lord, I was, you were there at my house. When I woke up, you were at my house. And the Holy Spirit spoke back to him and said, you're right. I was at your house when you woke up, but I was also at your office waiting for us to get there. Think on that. I was already at your office waiting for us. You see, he's not in one place and not another. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. The Holy Spirit's not just a person. He's a place. And God made places before he made people. The Holy Spirit is your comforter, he's your helper, and he's the only one who knows everything inside of you. Your friends will try to pull out of you what's not there. They'll try to put something in you that's not meant to be there. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave you your gifts and skills and talents, and he decided what they would be at the moment of conception, and he infused them inside of your spiritual DNA and then named them after himself. They're called gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit decided who could sing, who could play, who could organize, who would be good at painting, who couldn't even sign their name legibly. That would be me. The Holy Spirit is our master teacher. So every day of our life, we're looking to learn from him because he's got all wisdom. He's got all knowledge. He's got all love. He's got all understanding. He's the only person in your life you ever have to worry about making happy. Think on that for a minute. The Holy Spirit is the only person in your life you have to really worry about making happy because if you know you've made him happy, you know you've done everybody else right. He never tries to take out of you what's not in you because he's the one who puts your destiny inside of you. He knows what you can do, what you can't do. So he'll never come to you to pressure you to be something you're not supposed to be. But he will always come and talk to you about the future he's trying to bring you into. That's why sometimes God's words to us are so confusing because we're, we're listening in the place where we are right now, but he's talking to us like we're already where he's trying to get us to be. Your whole world changes when you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's a voice God never wants you to stop listening to. And if you listen to him, he'll show you how to make every footprint. Now, what makes it easy to obey him? 
knowing he's 100% trustworthy, always out for your best interest. Because sometimes he'll tell you to do something that goes against your flesh. You don't want to do that. If you'll admit it, our biggest problem as Christians is not that we don't hear from God. It's that sometimes we don't want to cooperate with what we know we're hearing. You ever been really tired? I've always wondered why God wakes me up in the middle of the night to pray on the nights I go to bed like at 1.15, <laughs> you know. And then, at, you know, 2 o'clock I'm wide awake. I'm like, Lord, you knew. Why couldn't you have nudged me to pray at 7 p.m. or 6 p.m.? You ever had that? The days you come home the tiredest and you just want to drop into a chair and kind of watch a little TV and have some just downtime, and that's the moment you get a prompting, call so-and-so. And at the time you're so tired, that one phone call seemed like such a big effort. But if you'll understand, he's seeing something you don't see. He knows something you don't know. There's something for your good. A buddy of mine was driving down the street about four years ago, and there was a little tiny shack in this field, just a blanket field, a little shack like where you'd put your lawn mowing stuff, a a tiny little shed. And the Holy Spirit nudged him and said, pull over and buy the shed. Just that clear. Now, it didn't make any sense to him because here's the thing you have to understand. Whenever you want God to take you to a new level, whenever you want God to give you a miracle, he'll always, always whisper an instruction to you that goes against your comfort zone and your present common sense. There's a man blind in the Bible. Jesus, I'd like to be healed. I heard you're doing healings. I'd like to sign up. I can't see. And Jesus says, okay, I want to take mud from the dirt right here. This, the, you, think about this. I'm not trying to be crude, but these are not paved roads. These are roads with donkey urine and waste and camel droppings and all the things that happened on those streets. And they're filthy nasty. There's no street cleaners. There's no brooms. But this, Jesus says, I want to scoop up some mud from that kind of environment, and I'm going to spit in your face and rub all the above in you. Then you're blind and you can't see, so it's dangerous to cross the street by yourself. But there's a river about two miles away. If you can get there on your own and wash, you got your vision back. Does that make any sense logically to a blind man who suffered and blind and I'd like to spit in your face and rub mud slash dung slash urine across your face? He was like, well, I'd rather have some perfumed anointing oil if that's okay, you know. But that was not an impossible instruction for him to obey. And when he did, he got his sight back. I could go all through the Bible, and you could see it doesn't make any sense for Peter to walk on water when in the boat it's dangerous and life-threatening. It doesn't make any sense to the children of Israel to walk out of Egypt without weapons, without swords, without anything, when they got an army that wants to kill them, and they go straight to a Red Sea where there's mountains on both sides, the army behind them, and an ocean they can't cross on their own. That doesn't make sense in the natural. It's a violation of your comfort zone. But when they obeyed, they walked on dry land because God made a way. Whenever you want God to give you anything more, he'll whisper and nudge. You won't scream. God speaks through nudges and inner persuasions, and he has one divine way of in an instant making you to know what he wants you to do. God will ask you to sow a seed financially when you're strapped and your budget can't handle it, but he'll test you to see if you'll trust him because he's seeing something you don't see. It's the voice of the Spirit. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's seeing something you don't see. He knows something you don't know. He's trying to take you to a place you haven't been yet, and he can't do it through your feelings. He's got to do it through your faith. So God will always make sure that we hear his voice. If you'll keep listening to him, keep listening to him, keep listening to him, he'll show you where to make every footprint. He'll show you how to make every decision. He'll show you who not to associate with, who to associate with. Just when you think this is the way to go and this is the right deal, the Holy Spirit may say, no, it's better over here. And if you'll go your way every time, you'll regret it. But if you go his way, you'll never regret it. Everybody said the voice of the Holy Spirit. Good friend of mine years ago, was getting ready to go to Vietnam, which, as you know, is a long flight from the U.S., and, and he was in his 70s. So he wasn't a young man. That's a long flight, and he, was, he had a friend that had a heart attack, and he was going to run by the hospital real quick and pray for the guy. His six floors in the hospital, Beaumont, Texas. He went to push a button on the elevator to go up, and the Holy Spirit said, don't take the elevator, take the stairs to the sixth floor. Oh, that's weird. Lord, you know I'm about to, I'm leaving straight from here to the airport. I've got a long flight. Why would I take six flights of stairs? Are the elevator going to drop? Is it broke? But he knew enough not to argue with God, so he takes the stairs. He gets up to about stairwell number five, and, he's, and two Catholic nuns are standing there. 
in the hospital they work in, volunteering. They looked at him and said, you're here. You're finally here. He doesn't know him from Adam. He says, can I help you? She's waiting on you. Who's waiting on you? Come on. They walk her, walk, walk him down the room. He, he was on, as a pastor on local television right there in Beaumont. And a woman with stage four cancer was having surgery that day for her tumor. But she had told her husband and doctors, I've watched a man on TV who says Jesus still heals. And I'm not letting anybody cut on me till we get that man here and he prays for me. And they had been calling him, and he didn't even know it. He'd already left his office. She's on the fifth floor. He's got to go to number six. If he'd taken the elevator, he'd have bypassed them, wouldn't have seen them. So they see him, recognize him. That's the guy I've been trying to reach from TV. They drag him down to the room. It's the sick woman and her husband, who's not saved, is in the corner, very mad, because they're 45 minutes past surgery now. He lays hands on her. The power of God hits her in the bed, transfers across to her husband. He hits the floor, comes up born again, say, believes in Jesus. They wheeled her down the hallway, and an hour later, every test result showed not a drop of cancer was in her body. God completely healed her. So he goes back to the elevator after this has happened, and he starts to push it to go down. And then he thought, no, if it was this cool taking the stairs coming up... What might be waiting if I go back down? So he took all six stairs back. Now, how many think the voice of the Holy Spirit will give you the most exciting life you could ever know if you'll just listen to him, man? There's gold on the other side. Number two, the second voice God always wants you to continually listen to is the voice of assurance. The voice of assurance. So many believers are, are, are still, they're born again, they're saved, they know they've met Jesus, they've come to the cross, and they've heard the message, and God's forgiven them, but they're still walking in shame from past failures, still walking in guilt from past failures. Self-portrait is still damaged from their past. They struggle feeling worthy to worship, or worthy to be used of God, or worthy to go into the next season. Listen, God wants you to never stop listening to the voice of assurance. He said, you're my son, you're my daughter, your name is in the book of life. He said, there is now, right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He said, behold, I'm going to do a new thing, says the Lord. So every day of your life, you listen for that voice of assurance, and it'll always tell you it is still well with your soul. If you've got your hand in his, he's never letting go. The voice of assurance, the voice that says, it'll be better. It's going to be better. I, I am not tired. I'm not broke. I'm not dead. I'm not defeated. I'm still God. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, I've had a bad day. You're going to have a good one. Lord, I've had a dark night, but there's going to be joy in the morning. Lord, I've had a defeat, but you're going to have a victory. This is not over. If you listen for his voice over and over again, he will assure you continually you're the head and not the tail. But you got to be willing to believe him. And you got to stop all this I'm not worthy stuff. And you got to stop all this I'm so undeserving. He thought you were deserving. He thought you were worthy. He saw something in you while you were still a sinner. And in the worst possible state, he was willing to die for you because he saw something in you worth salvaging. It's the voice of assurance. Sometimes in our striving to have humility, we go backwards. And we actually insult the Lord by refusing to receive what he's already told us we're worthy to receive. You ever had somebody try to buy you lunch and you give them a hard time? No, I'm paying. No, I'm paying. You have this little four-hour back-and-forth battle. That's how we do God. We're asking God to bless us, and he tries. And up, not that much, not that fast. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of that. You have to listen for the voice of assurance. I have thrown your sins as far as the east is from the west. I remember them no more. Stop discussing what you want to die. Somebody asked me one time, you have any skeletons in your closet, Mike? Nope, not mine. Why, are you perfect? Are you better than us? I said, no. Blood of Jesus just covered it all up. Nothing in there. When you open it up, you just see the cross. You open the closet up, there's nothing but the blood. If the Bible says he has thrown your sins, now the qualifier here is if you're saved, Okay, if you've been born again, this fits you. If you're not born again, you can. You can be right now. You can be saved today. But he said, if we're born again, he has taken our sins and thrown them into the sea of forgetfulness. So I refuse to talk to humans about something God won't even discuss with me anymore. 
The voice of assurance says it may look bad, but it's going to be good. You can't look at the economy. If you watch the news all the time without balanced perspective, you get depressed. If you think about the unemployment line, if you think about what the doctor says, this is a normal x-ray, here's yours, you can stay down. But if you look to him, the voice of assurance says, I am God. I change not. I'm all powerful. I'm all loving. I'm all wise. And I am not going to forsake those who walk with me. He said in Matthew 28, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Everybody say, shout assurance. Amen. Number three, the third voice he never wants you to stop hearing is the voice of the broken. The voice of the broken. I'll tell you a little story for just a few minutes. I've been to about 40 countries, and I've seen poverty all over the world. India, China, Russia. Brazil, Nigeria, Liberia, we've been there where the civil wars were and the Rwanda and the genocide and all the, I mean, I've landed at airports and seen turned over buses right outside the airport and foxholes dug where they're still shooting and fighting and, and, and guys jumping in my truck, hitchhiking, carrying machine guns and we've seen it all, the bloated bellies, the, the hospitals that are homemade and, and they've nailed the IV bags to the walls because there's nothing to hold them up with and I've seen it all. And after a period of time, it still moves you, but it doesn't surprise you. You expect to see it in the places that were where you go. So when I went to Nicaragua a little over a year ago for the first time, I went with a film crew that I do television with. And we were going to film some of the locations where we're preaching because there were children there that needed to be fed. And I was partnering with that effort, I wanted to feed these kids in Nicaragua who, who just needed to eat. I thought they just needed to eat. As little kids who don't have food, and we had some stuff we could put together to feed them. So that's, I was just there for that, I thought. But when I went there, and I was standing in Managua, and just to give you a little, uh, a little, a, a little statistical thing, the average family in Nicaragua lives on 800 American dollars a year. That's a year, okay? 65% unemployment rate for men. 99% unemployment rate for women. Mostly Catholic, don't believe in birth control. Six to eight kids per household average. 80% of the homes do not have a man living in the household. They pop in and out, gone for months at a time, or they just get to a breaking point and never come back. Over 100,000 elementary-aged children right now living in Nicaragua that have no birth certificate because they're born at home. They're born with midwives or their aunt delivers them, and so they've never registered their name. The, the government doesn't even know they exist. When we get to them and get some of them old enough and through discipleship programs to help them go to college, it's hard to get them enrolled because they have no paperwork to prove they're even citizens because on paper they don't exist. Now think how that would work with your head for self-portrait. Don't even know for sure how old you are because you don't even know for sure when your birthday was and they don't even know that you exist because nobody on paper has ever filed your name. So I'm standing in this place and I'm talking about the voice of the lost, the voice of the broken. Remember the story in Luke 16 where there's a rich man eating sumptuously and fair, and the Bible says that Lazarus, the poor man, was laid at his gate and just begged for some crumbs that fell from his table? That's a true story. It's not a parable. Read the Bible on it. But, but what, what I want to kind of paraphrase it today is I kind of think of that rich man as the church, the Western church, Canada, America, England. <clears throat> and I kind of think of Lazarus as the lost. And every time we say, God, I want revival. God, I want to be used of you. God, grow our church. Grow our life group. Grow our, grow our family. God, we want to be used of you. Every time you pray that kind of regularly, God will lay a little Lazarus at your doorstep to test your reaction to your own prayer request. And he didn't want everything in your life. He doesn't need all of your time. She doesn't need all of your wisdom or all of your money. She just wants some crumb. That's it. Just could I have some of the leftovers of the leftovers? And the rich man wouldn't even do that. 
And he died and went to hell. Not because of that. He went there because that's where his nature carried him. The Bible says that he was buried, but it says Lazarus died and he was carried. The Bible says angels came and took him to Abraham's bosom. You go when you die to the place your nature dictates. Lazarus had a born-again nature. It had nothing to do with his money. The rich man wasn't saved. He went where he went. But my point is the church has got a Lazarus that always will test your patience. It'll test your, you know, your, your, your convenience. But it's this, you gotta, you got you to gotta be real with it because he's lost. He's broken. He's damaged. And lost people and broken people and damaged people don't always look like we look. They don't always talk like we talk. They don't always fit into our little mold of how things work. They don't go into the order of life with us. They do things that test your patience, test your mind, test your, test your wits. And if you let the inconvenience of that dominate you, you'll stop and you'll get busy with your kitchen and your life. And Lazarus will eventually rot away on the doorstep because I don't really think there's a lot of plan B's in the Bible. When God brings a Lazarus to us, it's us. It's our Lazarus. Nobody else can reach them or they're going to die on our porch. So I'm standing there in Nicaragua, and they bring me these kids. You can go to our website and our Facebook and see my pictures of them and stuff. They bring me these little girls. Now, I have a girl. I have two boys that are grown, and my daughter is about to turn 10. So she's presently nine. This was a year ago. She was eight at the time. And they brought me all these eight-year-old girls and they were sitting on my lap and hugging me, and we were filming and getting ready to feed them. And, and the leader said to me, you realize where you're standing, don't you? I said, I have no idea. This is the most dangerous street in the entire country. It's where the most drugs are sold. It's where the most crime happens. It's where the most everything you can imagine. And then they said to me, do you understand what's happening to these girls? And I had no idea. They're hungry. Because the mothers have five and six and seven kids, and the unemployment rate's 90% for them and 65 if there's a man around, and even if there's a man around and he's working, they're living on 800 American bucks for a whole year. So what they're doing with these girls, Mike, is they, they put them in skirts with nothing else, and they put them in their windows at night, and they put an empty salad bowl next to the window. And it's known all over the area that men can walk down this street and take the six- and seven-year-old girls that are in the window. And as long as they put beans or rice in the bowl or a quarter or a little coin, they can do anything they want sexually to the girls. And then they put them back in the window when they're done. And when I saw that, and I'm standing here with these kids, my heart snapped. I said, do you mean to tell me the starvation is so bad that people are so messed up? Are you, are you telling me that mothers are being put in a position where they have to look at all six kids and go, okay, all of them can starve out, or I can ruin one to save the other five? And they said, that's the decision these moms are faced with. And my instant American response was just to judge that. Who would do that? I'd rather let them all die. And then I thought, you know, I've never been in that position I've never even remotely been in that position where I was convinced that's my only alternative. Watch all of my kids eventually starve out or find a way to save the ones I can and help the others get through. And so they're putting these little girls. It happened last night. It'll happen tonight. It happened the night before. Little six-year-old girls and men who have a little bit of money, are knocking on these doors with 50-pound bags of rice, looking at skeletal kids in the corner of a shack and a mom that hadn't eaten in days, and he says, I'll give you this 50-pound bag of beans or this 50-pound bag of rice in exchange for taking your little girl home with me this weekend. And the mothers are taking the bag and sending the girls out the door. And I couldn't live with it. I kept thinking about my own 8-year-old daughter and every time I looked at one of those kids, I saw my own. So I said, okay, God, I, I get it. This is the voice of the lost. This is the voice of the broken. I thought I was just down for a quick two-day film trip. And my whole world's been changed because I can't stop thinking about these little kids. So I said to them, I want to set a goal. I want, I want to take care of 500 of these kids I want to take, if I could say to these moms, I'll feed your kid every day. 
And if I can promise you, you'll never, ever grow hungry, would you promise me to take your daughter out of the window? And obviously, obviously, the answer is yes. So we began working from that literal day to the goal of getting 500 kids a month taken care of. So every night I put my head on my pillow, I can picture some little girl that's not in the window that day. Not only do we feed the kids, we feed their mothers. We feed a lot of grandmothers because they're the ones walking these kids to the feeding places. And I decided my life would no longer ignore that kind of pain. I couldn't sit in my air-conditioned house in Dallas and travel to churches in New York and Canada and Texas and all over. I, I couldn't be in places like where you're sitting right now. I couldn't be in the padded pews and the nice gymnasium places and pretend like I don't know that horror is going on. So I decided right then I was going to do something about it. And the cool thing is that I did the math on it with all the exchange rates from Nicaragua, the American dollar, blah, blah, blah. I can take care of 500 girls for just $3,000 a month, which averages out to about 6 bucks per kid. Can you imagine me ignoring that need so I could save $6? Not me. I don't know what part of your life God will touch you challenge you but there'll be a time there'll be a moment God puts a special version of Lazarus at your step and your miracles and your joy and your fulfillment and your contentment and your feeling like yeah God thank you for letting me make a difference it'll all come from your reaction to that Lazarus they don't need your whole life the Nicaraguan girls don't need my whole attention they don't need all of our offerings they don't need all of our budget I've got staff I've got a full-time secretary down in Dallas that's been with me for 10 years I've got bills like everybody else but she don't want all that she just wants enough to pull the girl out of the window tonight she just wants some crumbs and yes the church of Jesus Christ can do that. Amen. The church of Jesus Christ can do that. Number four, the last voice God never wants you to stop listening to. Number one is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Number two is the voice of assurance. Number three is the voice of the broken. And number four is the voice of divine opportunity. The voice of divine opportunity. Everybody say time. Say it a little louder. Time. God works in time with us. He's eternal. But he's made time that we have to work our life into. The voice of divine opportunity. How many believe God's a God who watches what we do in response to divine opportunity? And if you really think about it, families, I close today. The only gift God really owes you after Jesus is the gift of opportunity. That's really all God owes us. He said, I've set before you life and death. You choose. I've set before you blessing and cursing. You choose. I've set before you death, I've set before you life, I've set before you peace, I've set before you conflict. And God just says, which one do you want? And it breaks his heart when we make wrong choices like Jesus who said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, I've watched you, I'm weeping over you, and I've tried to gather you to me like a mother hen does her chicks, but you don't want it. And it broke his heart because he was there, and they didn't know who he was. That's why he prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they still don't get this. And even there with nails in his hands and feet, he's crying out, Father, they don't get it, so have mercy. That's a picture of the Jesus who loves all of us, the one that doesn't give up on us. But there's divine opportunity. And I want to just encourage you today, whatever God is moving you toward, whatever strategic part of your faith is being challenged to grow and tested, it's not always fun. It's tough sometimes when God messes with our comfort zone i know but man there's so much joy on the other side there's so much peace on the other side there's so much miracle on the other side oh what a joy to be able to take him by the hand and say god i don't know what you're up to but man i'm along for the ride the bible says in genesis 8 22 as long as the earth remains there'll be summer and winter cold and heat seed time and harvest there's no such thing as sowing and reaping. It's sowing, waiting, and reaping. And the waiting part is the drag. A man plants seed into the womb of his wife, waits nine months to get a baby. Farmer plants seed into, of corn into the soil, has to wait weeks and months for a corn stalk. We sow, we wait, and we reap, and waiting is the proof we trust him. A man came to me the other day, I, I'll never forget this, and he said to me, you came to my church a year ago, and, and I, you told us if we sowed a seed, God would give us a harvest. Well, I gave him the offering, and nothing good has happened to me in a year. I said, are you kidding? Nothing? 
tell me about your life. That sounds horrible. He said, well, I guess one good thing has happened. He said, every member of my family that wasn't saved since you were here last is now born again. But other than that, nothing. I was like, okay, man. So everybody in your family is now saved, but God has not done anything good for you. We all want God to do stuff instantly. A mosquito reproduces over 24 hours. It takes an elephant two years to be pregnant, gestate, give birth. Sometime we're begging God for a mosquito harvest when he's trying to give us an elephant harvest. We're demanding it now, now. All of us are a walking warehouse of seed. Time is a seed. Love is a seed. Patience is a seed. Mercy is a seed. Forgiveness is a seed. When a man called me 10 years ago and said, I've cheated on my wife. I've really messed up. He said, I didn't get caught. I felt guilty. I've confessed it to her. She's shattered. Would you come to the house and pray with us? And I was there. She's crying. They had a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and they're all just, man, she's just, you could see the, the devastation on her face. And she said to me, what can we do? And I began to work with them and pray with them. God, I'm counseling. They stayed together. But if you asked me his name today, I wouldn't give it to you if you gave me a check for $5 million. Why? My confidentiality is my seed into their recovery. So many times we make it hard for people who backslide to come back to church, not because they don't think God forgives them, but because everybody knows all their business. Nobody knows how to, I know it's kind of a crude way of saying it, but I privately refer to it as the seed of shut up. There's a lot of time we ought to just sow that. Don't talk about it. Don't say it. Somebody said, well, it's true what happened to so-and-so, but the Bible says not to even think about anything. It's not a good report. Just because something's true doesn't make it good news. So my confidentiality was my seed into his restoration. I didn't want him embarrassed every time he saw people that he knew, so I made sure nobody knew what he had done. Money's a seed. Intercession's a seed. If somebody calls you up and says, man, I, I need to ride to church. My car won't start. You go get up. That's a seed of your love, of your time. But money's a seed too. And I want to encourage you because there's an anointing on my life to pray for finances. And I want to pray for three specific things to happen in your life this year. Before the end of 2017, I'm going to pray for three miracles to happen in your finances. I was sitting at a church service many years ago. I was broke. I had a medical problem. I couldn't preach anymore. My voice had gone out. I had nodules on my vocal cords. I thought my whole world would come to an end. I drained every account I had down to about $1,000 to my entire life. And I had no income. We didn't have monthly partners really at that time and people that sewed into our missions organization. It was all dependent on me to go out and preach and generate support. And I'm sitting in a church. I'd gone to a church on purpose where nobody knew me. So nobody would ask me to pray for them or help them or counsel with them. I just wanted to go and hear from God myself. And I'm sitting on the second row. And they went to take an offering for a very famous preacher who was very blessed. And I had no intention of giving in the offering because I was broke. My bills were higher than $1,000 that I had in my life. You understand that? I have already got less money than I have bills. And I have no intention of giving away some. So I'm sitting in the chair, and God nudges me and says, I want you to plant a $500 seed today and watch what I do. Half of my whole net worth. Now, $500 may not be a lot to you, but if it's 50% of everything you have to the world, that's a lot of money. So I'm sitting here and I thought, no way, this can't be God. It's the devil trying to mess me up. I'm having all these mind battles. And, and I actually thought this, this preacher is famous. He's got a huge ministry. He should be sowing into me. I'm the new guy getting started, man. I, I'm, I'm the guy that, I'm the little guy nobody knows about. And I'm trying to get things off the ground. He's not only off the ground, he owns the ground. And I'm supposed to sow a seed, but I knew his voice. I knew it. God never talks to you about what's in your hand unless he's looking at what's in his, and he just wants to make an exchange. Nothing ever leaves heaven till something first by faith leaves the earth. That's the illogical part of it. That's the breaking of your comfort zone part of it. That's the part that makes you edgy and uncomfortable. I wrote that check out for $500 and left. I plummeted into a depression. And for three days, I walked around going, God, what did I do? I've got even less now. I've got bills. I've got obligations. And in the middle of all that pain, a man called me I hadn't seen in three years. And he said, I'd like to buy you lunch. And I was into free at that time. So I, I went to my free lunch. The guy sits down. He's six foot six. He's a huge man. He begins to burst into tears. They're pouring down his face. He said, Mike, you don't know anything about my life. We've been apart for three years, but I'm a trucker now, and I broke my shoulder, and I can't change gears. So they laid me off. No insurance, no disability, no nothing. He goes, I hadn't had a paycheck for my family in six months. 
And he said, yesterday I found a tool in my garage. It's expensive. I forgot I owned it. I took it to a pawn shop, and they gave me $1,200 for it. First income I've had in six months. And when I got in my car to go back home and tell my wife, and then more tears, he said, God told me to find you and give you every penny of the 1200 I just made. And he reached into his pocket and pulled out a white envelope and pushed the, his hands were shaking, he pushed 12 $100 bills across the table. And my life has never been the same. I sold $500 on Sunday. I had $1,200 on Wednesday. But I knew Ray was hurting like I had been. So I told him what I just told you. I took him by the hand. I said, Ray, God's going to give you a harvest. I don't know what's about to happen, but God would not nudge me to sow and you to sow if there's not a miracle in the work here for both of us. He's no respecter of persons, man. So if you'll take my hand, Ray, something's about to snap in the spirit realm for you. He said, man, I hope so. I hope this works. He pushes his hands over and grabs mine. We begin to pray. And three hours later, he goes, back to his hotel, calls his wife. She's shouting on the other end of the phone. He said, baby, what, what are you going crazy about? She said, got some good news. She said, you know that disability insurance company you've been fighting with for six months about your injury? They just called three hours ago, out of the blue, said they'd re-reviewed the case and that we were right and they are wrong and they're overnighting the first of several checks for $5,000. Come on, somebody, give God some praise. I got so excited, I went to the next church, told them the same two stories I just told you. One guy jumps up and says, I got income tax I owe. I don't have money to pay for it, but I got $500. I'll sow it today. If God will do it for you, he has to do it for me. We prayed for him. Bam, within 72 hours, this guy had thousands of dollars suddenly come into his life. Had another guy whose father was in the mafia in New Jersey. He was in Texas listening to me tell this story. He came up, sowed the $500, drove to get gas on the way home, and a man he hadn't seen since high school said hey Brad what do you do now he said I'm I'm saved now I'm serving Jesus and the guy pulled out his wallet and said well somebody ought to bless you then and the guy shoveled him some money that night his unsaved mafia father from New Jersey called and said son I hadn't blessed you in a long time thought I'd send you a check for a thousand dollars all within one day and I could tell you harvest story after harvest story after harvest story because when you listen for the voice of divine opportunity it's always so God can take you to a place you've never been before. God took me years later to a whole different place of blessing. And I started off with the new year in prayer with God. And I said, God, you were so good to me last year. I, I want to begin this year by just loving on you with an offering. And so God didn't tell me to do it, but I, it dawned on me I had never sowed. The largest level I had sowed at one time was $3,500. So I told the Lord, I want to present a seed to you for $5,000 today to thank you for how good you've been to me and as my first seed into the new year that I'm believing you for great things. And the crazy thing is God didn't even tell me to do any of this. I just did it out of my own heart of, of, of thankfulness. And as I went to write the check out for $5,000, he had the nerve <laughs> to visit my little joy time. Uninvited, unneeded, and he spoke two of the sickest words I've ever heard in my life. Double it. I had $10,000 put aside in one account, and that's like it. And he said to me, I want you to plant the seed of $10,000. And it confused me because I said, God, you didn't even ask for the five. It's kind of like if I had known how this was going to end up, (laughs) I would have just bypassed the whole thing, you know. But I'm sitting here, and I'm in a pastor's office. I'm by myself. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want it on his desk by 5 o'clock this afternoon. And I died on the inside. Anybody that tells you it's always easy to give has only been saved for about 45 seconds, or they're lying to you. Because there's days God will nudge you to sow seed, and you will hate that it's God, but you'll know it's his voice. You know it. We know it. He said, my sheep know my voice. I knew it was God. I'm not trying to be funny, but this was so big for me. I literally put the check on his desk at 4.59. I paced the floor all day praying, making sure it wasn't the enemy trying to just mess me up. Because I had gotten to a place I couldn't keep anything in my life. Anytime blessing came my way, my first thought was, God must want 
have given this to me to give to somebody else. And I was sowing like crazy. Like literally, I'd get a check on Monday and I would give the whole thing away on Tuesday. And that's the way I'd been living. And God was trying to slow me down enough to say, do the math. When I ask you to give 10% of the tithe and there's 90% left for you to pray about and see how you can be blessed yourself, I was kind of trying to give you a picture. I wanted you to keep most of what I give you. So I wrote the check out for $10,000. I sewed it at 5 o'clock. And immediately, a few days later, I got a phone call. About, about maybe 10 days later, I got a phone call from a man. He said, I don't know if you remember me, but I prayed with you six months ago because my boss owed me $180,000 in back bonuses, and he had never paid up. You prayed over me at an altar that God would release that money, and it took a few months. But guess what? I got some money. He said, I was so thankful that God released that through your prayer. I felt like I should sow an offering of thanksgiving back to you. What's your mailing address? I feel led to send you a check for $10,000. I got another call that week from a television station in, in another part of the United States who said, now, now you know, TV stations, they sell airtime, right? They, they sell it to you so you can be on their station and you can pay them. This TV station said, we would like to give you a program where you come and teach all 50 states in 120 countries for free, and we're going to give you a check to do it for $10,000. And $10,000, would you help me come to the keyboard, please? The $10,000 seed had just kept coming over and over to me, over and over to me. And why? Because I had listened to a voice of divine opportunity. Had I kept that $10,000, you think all the other $10,000s would have come into my life? Of course not. Would I have gone to hell? No. Would God curse me or, or burn my house down? No. But I would have walked in a season of disobedience. And only heaven would have revealed what I had missed out on because I chose to overlook a divine moment when God was bringing harvest my way. Listen to me. Your miracle is coming towards you or past you every day of your life. And God leaves it up to us to see it, discern it, and grab it and bring it on home. I came to remind you today, there's four voices that will never stop whispering to your spirit. His Holy Spirit. Jesus said over and over again, he that has an ear, let him what? Hear what the Spirit says. It's the most important thing in your life. If you never see me again the rest of your life, the most important thing I could ever tell you is learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one voice that never stops talking to you. Never, ever ever, ever. He talks through people. He talks through preachers. He talks to your parents. He talks through pain. He talks through opportunity. He talks through nature. Talks through his word. Nobody talks more than the Holy Spirit. He's your best friend. And if you make him happy, if everybody else is frowning, but the Holy Spirit's happy, you're going to be okay. But if the world is smiling at you and he's frowning, it's a bad place to be. In him is life and joy and peace and satisfaction and inner contentment that's the place to live the voice of assurance that everything really is going to be okay we are going to see him one day and in between he's here he'll never leave us not for a single moment his favor his joy is all that man it, it's increasing it's not decreasing there's more coming more anointing more blessing more joy it's all coming man be assured of that and along the way you can't get so blessed and so busy you stop doing this. you got to keep reaching back and picking up somebody that doesn't know Jesus. you got to reach back and pick up somebody who's laying on your doorstep. Once a year, an evangelist from Texas will come through and give you a chance to help the Lazarus in Nicaragua. And if we can pull her out of the window tonight, Pull a few more. Pull a few more. We give them Bibles. The feeding stations are in the local church. So when they come to get their food, they're already in God's house. We preach to them, sing to them, love on them. Obviously, there's kids who get counseling and therapy. And in a very few, few, few selective cases, the people that we work with have actually had to kidnap little girls out of homes when it was obvious the mother would never pull them out of the window. And we had to put them in places where they'd be safe. The devil's in it for keeps, folks. It's real easy to just live in our little western church world where our problems are just, you know, I've got my bonus check cut in half. There's places across the world where mothers are wondering, how 
can I get my kid through 12 noon tomorrow? How can I get my son through next Friday? What am I going to do when that man knocks on my door again with another bag of beans? When you have no hope in any direction you look, it's the worst place to ever be. So we got to be there for him with the gospel, with Jesus, with food. And the fourth thing is just listen for the voice of divine opportunity. When he whispers to your heart, there's a reason. There's an anointing he's trying to unlock. And if you'll instantly respond, instantly obey, there's more joy. There's more peace. It may be shaky for a while because that's the building of faith. Peter's stepping on that water. He's nervous. I don't care if he's seeing Jesus or not. It's kind of creepy to step out of a boat in a storm. Man's going to have mud in his face, urine, dung, spit, but he's trusting Jesus' voice. And when you can't see past the mess of life, just listen for his voice. He'll guide you through. Father, we love you today. So thankful for the preciousness of the Holy Spirit. So thankful that we can make a difference on the earth. We're so thankful, Father, that we're the head and not the tail and the lender and not the bar. We're so thankful. That first of all, Lord, as we just sit here today, we want to say thank you for saving us. We want to say thank you for loving us and dying on the cross that we could be saved. We want to say thank you for helping us be born again. So, Father, as we sit here today in this beautiful auditorium here in Canada, we, we just say forever, thank you, Jesus. Right where you are right now, could you just use your own words and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You bought me and set me free. You bought me and set me free. Jesus, I adore you. I thank you. I, I give you praise. I can't erase my past. I needed a Savior. I needed to be forgiven. And you died for me. You shed blood for me that I could be born again. Father, I pray today if there's anybody in the room battling with self-esteem issues or a self-portrait issue, Lord, they've got guilt and shame, they think about their past and they feel instantly unworthy and that unworthy feeling is outweighing the feeling they feel as a son or daughter of the redeemed Most High. I ask you right now to speak a new word of assurance to them. It's well, it's covered, it's the past, it's forgotten, it's forgiven. You said in John 6, whoever came to you, you wouldn't cast them out. So, Lord, it doesn't matter what we've done. There's nothing we can do that would make you turn us aside. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Father, we're not ashamed right where we sit right now just to say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come on, everybody, right where you are, just in your seat. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, live in me. I put my trust, not in my good deeds, not in my habits, not in my preaching, not in my tithing. I, I put my faith and trust in what you did for me at the cross. And I receive the gift of everlasting life. Father, most of us will never go to Nicaragua in this room. We'll never physically go to these streets, to these cities. But yet we all can go together through our giving and through our prayers Father, I feel stirred today as Pastor comes in just a moment, Lord, as Pastor Dan comes, and he's going to give us a chance to plant seed today into Nicaragua and beyond. Lord, we're not only touching Nicaragua, but around the world, Father, because our offerings are a continual memorial to you that we care about your work, we care about your world, we care about the broken. And Lord, the lost is not always physically at our feet. Sometimes it's a story we hear about around the world in a place we've never been. And Lord, for every mother sitting in Nicaragua crying this morning because she kept her child in that window on a Saturday night, I ask you to rebuke hell out of that house. I ask you to rebuke pain off that daughter. I ask you, Father God, to erase the memories in these girls' minds. I ask you to give them a new heart, a new spirit, a new joy. Make them feel clean again, Lord. And I ask you to restore dignity to the mother who can never forgive herself for what she did. I ask you, Father, that the peace of Jesus would invade these homes. And do it through our seed today. Do it through our prayer. Father, every week of my life, because, Lord, it, it, it's just $3,000 to sponsor the kids for an entire month. And, Lord, every week I go, I ask you for three people that could plant a $1,000 seed. I ask you for people who could sow something significant for the gospel for these little girls and beyond. Lord, I don't know who you'd talk to today. Lord, it might be the $1,000 seed. It might be the seed like 500 that you dealt with me about so many years ago. The seed that you used in my life to break the back of poverty was the $500 seed. Lord, I don't know what you'll speak to your people to plant today. But Lord, all of us will sow something at some level of our faith. All of us will plant seed today with gratitude that we've never had to make that decision. And Father, we know what we make happen for a family we've never met You'll make, happy for the, you'll make happen for the family that we know and love. Father, I ask you for three harvests in every obedient house today. I ask you for three harvests between now and t the end of 2017. 
I ask you, Father, for a hundredfold return according to Mark chapter 10, 28 and 29. I ask you that a hundred times what they sow today would come back to them by the end of this year. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. The third thing, Father, I ask is for supernatural favor because they don't need everybody liking them, Lord, just the right people. I ask you between now and December 31st, the greatest wave of supernatural favor from people in a position to bless them and promote them and those they love. May they have a tidal wave of favor come their life. And the third harvest, Father, I release today is family restoration. You said in Isaiah 58 you would restore what the canker worm had taken. Father, if there's unsaved children, if there's broken, fragmented relationships with parents or sisters and brothers, Father, in our extended bloodline, I decree the peace of Jesus of now. I ask you, Father, for a harvest. When we help put families back together in Nicaragua, you'll put our family back together right here in Canada. I decree it from the north, the south, the east, and the west. I thank you for every seed today. Father, especially, Father, some of us have been significantly blessed more than others. Some of us, you've taken to a higher level. Father, I don't know if it's money we'd set aside for a rainy day, something we'll put on our debit card, or if it's something we decided to use for a vacation or a, or a, a new car. I don't know what we thought we would do with the seed, but if you're redirecting that today, we will say forever yes to you. Father, it might be years before we ever have a chance in a moment like this to plant seed into your ground, to call in a harvest. We do it today in faith, Father. I pray for three who could plant a $1,000 seed. I ask you for two that could plant a $500 seed. All of us, Father, will sow whatever it is you speak to our heart to sow. And tonight when we go to bed, we'll have peace and joy knowing our harvest is on the way to us. And knowing a little girl is coming out of a window in a place like Nicaragua. We thank you for this privilege in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Praise God. I want my sister to keep playing this little chorus. I'd like for Pastor to come and join me here on the platform. What a joy it's been to break the word of the Lord with you today. Would you give God a wonderful hand clap of praise in the house? Come on, give him. Don't patty cake it. Give him a thunderous, celebratory clap of praise. God bless you today as you stand with us in your giving.